May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I want to try to do two things. I'm not sure exactly why, but um, actually it was inspired by the things that I got at the fair yesterday. I came away with a beautiful leather-bound HarperCollins study Bible and a little book by Harvey Cox called How to Read the Bible. So I've got both now, the directions from Harvey and and the book. Um, I don't know, some of you may know Harvey Cox or know of him. He's a professor emeritus of divinity at Harvard. He's been there forever. And this little book, How to Read the Bible, Uh, He wrote in in 2015, so it's fairly recent. And he talks about reading the Bible as a three-part process. First, basically, as children, we're mostly taught the Bible as narrative. The stories of Adam and Eve and that cunning snake. Noah's Ark riding out on the waves of that huge flood filled with the pairs of all the animals. Abraham and Sarah, in their old age, setting out at God's command to unknown parts. Baby Moses in the bulrushes, rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Israelites escaping to freedom when the sea miraculously parts and they walk through on dry land. And of course, Jesus, a baby, born in a stable, visited by wise men bearing gifts. These beloved stories invite us to draw near, to experience the history and the power of God working in the world in amazing ways, through people pretty much like us. I hope you love the stories and that you share them with your children and your grandchildren, for we are all part of this story, God's story, the narrative of creation and salvation. Cox says that when we get a little older, the second important way to read the Bible is through critical study. What are these books that we call the Bible? Who wrote what? Who was the intended audience? Why was a particular piece of writing included in the canon and others not? So this study, this critical work, is not the work only of scholars, but really it's for all people who take the Bible seriously. We do some of this on Wednesday mornings in our Bible study at 11 o'clock. And some of you, of course, have have gone through EFM, which is a much more in-depth study of the Bible. And we as a community will be taking up the Gospel of Luke in a couple of weeks as we enter the new lectionary cycle at the beginning of Advent. The third stage, incorporating the first two, is to read the Bible, as he says, spiritually. Asking yourself the question, how is this story, how are these words part of me? Where am I in this story and where is it in me? Cox says that sort of the old style of thinking, let's look at the Bible as what it meant then and what it means now, doesn't really work. 
There is no separation. Because we cannot be objective or detached readers and listeners. Whether we like it or not, we all go to the Bible looking for something. And who we are and what our circumstances in life are affects what we see, what we hear, and how we hear it. We bring our own individual hopes and our own individual pain to the texts when we draw near to them, listening for God's word. So with those three things in mind, let's look at the passage from Hebrews. Often called a letter, but it's not. It's actually a sermon. The preacher, and I'm going to call her she, um, says right in the, in the thing that it's an exhortation to an early church community. We don't know who they were. We don't know who the writer was. But we do know that it probably was not Paul. We don't know much at all about who the preacher was and who was listening. But what we can glean from reading the sermon in its entirety is that the congregation to which she preaches is tired, exhausted even, and perhaps having a hard time holding on to their faith. Apparently, this is not a 21st century secular world problem, but it has been a challenge for churches since the very beginning. The preacher is reminding them again of the story of God's story of salvation through Jesus Christ. Here's, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. This is right from the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. She says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. She goes on and on to describe who Jesus is. And then, in the beginning of the second verse, she says, Therefore we must pay greater attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. That sounds like pretty contemporary language. The sermon is long and theologically dense with lots of biblical references. When I told someone this week that I was probably going to preach on the Hebrews and that it probably is a sermon, not a letter, she said, well, why don't you just read the original sermon? That's got to be better than anything you can come up with. <laughs> and that's true. But I'm not sure you'd sit still through the whole thing. But it occurred to me that it might be fun if anyone is actually interested in looking at the whole thing together. Let me know, because it's not that long. Um, but it, it reads, uh, some of the commentators say, one of the reasons they know it's not a letter is that it, it's structured exactly the way um, rabbinical sermons were given in synagogues. It's, it's a sermon with a little bit of letter stuff tacked on at the end. So anyway, our passage for today... What jumps out? For me, two things. Maybe different for you. But this idea 
of Christ's bloody sacrifice is actually kind of offensive to our modern sensibilities, right? I mean, we may feel that we've just advanced culturally beyond such those types of rituals. But think about all the ways that we sacrifice each other all the time. In families, sometimes we place blame on a family member for difficult situations. You are the inconsiderate one, the lazy one, the disruptive one. When in reality, no relationship, no family dynamic is the result of one person's behavior or personality. Someone came up to me after the 8 o'clock and said that he thinks of all the shooting victims recently as sacrifices to our love of violence. We can also name ways that we scapegoat whole groups of people instead of addressing larger systems, larger systemic issues of poverty, racism, pollution, and environmental degradation in our world. So this ancient practice of regular animal sacrifice by the high priest that's referred to in our passage today, that sacrifice to atone for human sin, actually kind of makes some sense when we think of the magnitude and regularity of human guilt and blame and sinning. Our contemporary sacrificial systems may appear more subtle, but are devastating nonetheless when we don't recognize them as such. The point of the Hebrews preacher, though, is that Christ's once and for all self-offering on the cross means we have a place to put all that guilt and blame and sin without continuing to sacrifice each other. Let's hear that again. The point of Christ's once and for all self-offering on the cross means we have a place to put our guilt and our blame and our sins without sacrificing each other. That's astounding news she proclaims to us. That Jesus is the once and for all atonement for sin, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. How would we be as people, as communities, as the church, if we really got this, if we really got that message? The early listeners also shared with us this human sense of guilt. Somehow that we are always being judged and that we will be ultimately judged after we die. Our preacher from Hebrews proclaims that in fact when Jesus returns, it won't be to deal with sin. For he has already taken care of that. But rather, when he returns, it will be to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for him? 
In a few weeks, we will begin the season of Advent, a time of preparation for Christ. We love Advent. And we tend to focus on the birth of the baby because we love babies. And because we can get our heads around a baby, we know what a baby looks like. But Advent is actually primarily about the second coming. When Christ, who reigns in heaven, returns to greet those who are eagerly waiting for him. What does that eager waiting look like? You may be tired. Not so eager. Tired of waiting. Tired of waiting for all sorts of things. Struggling with illness or grief. Challenges at work or in your family relationships. Maybe today your faith is really strong, or maybe today your faith is shaky, like those folks in the congregation back then. It's all part of church. It's all part of community. Eager waiting may not be in the cards for you for any number of reasons. The preacher to the Hebrews was realistic in her words to those tired and shaky folks who also may have been weary of waiting, perhaps even losing hope. She says, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Hold your marriage in honor. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said... I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Told her she was better. May we be people of faith. People of hope. It's also from this very sermon in Hebrews, we have those words, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. May we be faithfully engaged with our sacred stories, with these stories, with these words, telling them to our children and to one another, reading and studying them together, and bringing our whole selves and our life experiences to the texts 
all with the goal of hearing a word from God for us, for now, as God has promised. Amen.